0: The doctor there said that he had DSL internet services. He was very challenged in working with his uh, medical medical services from home, and now uh, he started out with our lowest package of 200 meg symmetric internet. He says that he now can pull down his X-rays and the MRIs, and he can make his notes, send it up, and he says it's just like being at work.
1: Welcome to episode 374 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. We have another great conversation from Tennessee this week, where local communities are taking initiative to provide broadband for residents and businesses. Stacey Evans from Bright Ridge in eastern Tennessee talks with Christopher about the public utility and how they're developing infrastructure to offer broadband service in the region. Stacey describes how they've worked within the confines of state limitations in order to legally expand their network, and offers stories from subscribers. He also talks about the challenges they've faced as they've developed plans to deploy in a very large area in the Appalachians. He talks about how the fiber infrastructure is assisting with local electric services and their complementary fixed wireless service. In this interview, we also learn about the future plans and hear how Brightridge is taking an innovative approach to deployment that makes subscriber options and future innovations easier to implement. Now here's Christopher with Stacey Evans from Brightridge.
2: Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And today I'm speaking with Stacey Evans, the Chief Broadband Officer at Brightridge in Johnson City or thereabouts, Tennessee. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Chris.
2: So let me start by asking you to describe Johnson City and the areas just around it.
0: Well, uh, Brightridge is electric service provider in the city of Johnson City, as well as Washington County, Tennessee, uh, portions of uh, Sullivan County and a small portion of Carter County, Tennessee. So we have 79,000 electric customers, um, covering about 350 square miles of area, 2,100 miles of electric distribution, and 120 miles of uh, transmission lines. So this area, uh, we have we have some manufacturing, we have uh, some universities close by, East Tennessee State University is in our footprint, um, and some other smaller, uh, you know, educational institutions. Um, so it, it's a beautiful area. We're among the mountains, the Appalachian Mountains, in, in northeast portion of the state of Tennessee. Um, we uh, we started back in 2018, June. We launched our broadband division uh, and kind of diversified from just electric, and uh, it allowed us to look at other revenue opportunities for the electric side. As most people are probably aware, uh, if you're in the region like this, we don't see a tremendous amount of customer growth. We do see some, uh, but since the efficiencies of things like LED lighting and higher seer rated heat pumps are coming about, the revenue use per customer declines, and and that's great. Efficiency's good, but it takes the same number of people for us to support that environment and that infrastructure. So we'll looking at other opportunities for revenue. Um, kind of brought about our broadband division.
2: Before we talk too much about uh, broadband and actually even the the utility, did, did I see correct, is Johnson City the oldest town in Tennessee?
0: Jonesboro is. Yeah, that's a good question, though. Yeah, Jonesboro is, and we serve that. We actually built it out with fiber, and uh, and it actually is, you're exactly right, the oldest town in Tennessee. Uh, it was established in 17, hmm, I look, 1780-something, I believe. Uh, but it existed when North Carolina owned the territory, I guess you would say. So, <laughs> That's yeah, great. Yeah, it is.
2: If we if we take a step um, back, then to you, you mentioned that, that the, the broadband work um, goes all the way back to um, um, six months ago. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I'll 20- th- um, But I'm yeah. I know Johnson City uh, is something you've thought about for a long time. But I'm curious if you can tell us a little bit about the structure of the authority now because you're no longer coupled to uh, you're no longer a municipal utility of Johnson City.
0: You're exactly right. So up until October of 2017, uh, we were known as Johnson City Power Board, and it was part of the municipal government of the city of Johnson City. Um, and, and the population, just give an idea, there's 63,000 within the city limits, and then we have a large area within the county too. We became an energy authority in 2017, and that allowed us to look at projects such as broadband, and be able to provide those uh, kind of thinking outside the box a little bit to the broader customer base that we have, so not really locked into just Johnson City, uh, and look at other opportunities, too, for synergies that might be available.
2: Now, are you still constrained by Tennessee law in that you're not allowed to offer uh, fiber optic services outside of your electric territory as as a municipality would be?
0: That is correct. Yes, we are still constrained that way, Yes.
2: Okay. And then then the other thing was, you named Bright Ridge, and I've driven through the Appalachians down there. It is indeed beautiful, but is there a specific uh, ridge that is named Bright Ridge, or what does that name come from?
0: There was an effort put over multiple months to find a name that just related to the area, and uh, there were multiple ones that were looked at. Interesting enough, before there was a Earlier on, even before this, before there was a spectrum, that was a name considered. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> so there was different things like that. They were looked at, but uh, nevertheless, they thought about the region and uh, there, you know, being in the terrain, there are a lot of ridges. Uh, there's some mountain areas, and uh, and the bright portion just kind of came from a uh, a very positive outlook and what we saw for the region and be able to bring new services such as broadband to the customer base. And uh, so it's just kind of a marketing uh, option, I guess we we chose.
2: So let's talk about what you're doing then, um, which I think is probably people who are listening who are thinking, well, this is this is great. It sounds like a great place to be. Uh, but what does this have to do with broadband? So what are you doing with broadband?
0: Well, we uh, we officially launched the first fiber construction in January of 2019 this year. And we have an eight-phase project uh, that we're building fiber past 42,000 potential customers. They're all electric customers of ours today. Uh, In addition, uh, we did not want to leave out the rural areas. So in, in areas that the density of homes per mile is just not sufficient to justify a fiber optic build, we're deploying fixed wireless. And so with that, we we felt like we can cover both territories. And the good thing is we've got 180-some miles of backbone fiber through our network that was used for SCADA and AMI purposes for electric. We're able to tap onto that, and then we'll also go to regions that may be in the county for subdivisions of a couple hundred people, and we can build off that backbone and still do fiber to the home there. But if the population is not so that justifies, we'll use the fixed wireless, so it's fiber-fed. And then we're offering some high speeds across it, too. As um, far as I know, we're one of the first utilities to offer broadband over fixed wireless that we're aware of. But we're offering a 25 meg by 3 is our lowest end. We do a 50 meg by 5 and a 75 meg by 10. Uh, it's using LTE fourth-generation technology. And so that's a licensed spectrum with FCC and looks like the future is very bright for that as well. The uh, FCC is opening up CBRS spectrum. This allows to double our spectrum and bandwidth to the customers.
2: And I was going to say that's a non-line-of-sight, right? So it works pretty well in your region. It's more of
0: a near-line-of-sight. It's probably okay. a better term because if you have trees that are between your home or business and the tower, and it's kind of centralized, you know, in between – you You're probably okay to get the service, but if that tree is at closer to your home or closer to the tower, you really go cut that signal off before it has a chance to you know to kind of go around that so near line of is probably a better term. It's using a three point six five gigahertz spectrum range
2: okay one of the things that i'm I'm curious about i mean looking at uh, potentially um, uh, forty two thousand fiber passes is that right, or is that people pass
0: correct that, that's that's houses
1: and, okay. and businesses
2: that's going to make you one of the five biggest municipal fiber networks in the nation. But I don't feel like you've had a lot of the exposure that some of the others have had. Do you have that feeling?
0: Well, it may be true, but we're very early on getting started right now. You know, But you know, as far as talking about the rating, we are the 10th largest uh, of the 154 local power distributors and TVA service. And 38 largest municipal electric provider in the United States. So you know, as far as size, we for other services we are you know we used to be in there, but raw band is new to us. So that's that's a new venture.
2: Sure. So what is what have you achieved thus far? I think you you have been rolling fiber out and uh, and possibly wireless already too. What's the what's the summer taught you? Well,
0: <laughs> uh, there there's many lessons learned, no doubt. <laughs> I'm um, sure. Some of those relate to timing for procurement. You know, you've got your RFP uh, procurement guidelines you've got to go through and, you, you know, vetting out the bids and getting the process done. Uh, things like the recent tariffs over the past year caused some delays. So kind of planning out and timing those things were a challenge. Working with the various vendors, you know, we, we really started with some I'll say very leading edge technology with XGS 10 gig pond and, you know, bringing some of those to together with our billing systems and things like that. Those are all, you know, all challenges, but uh, you yeah, know, we, we learn and we've got through those and we've got a lot of customers out there now and, and growing and, and have a, a great potential to continue that through several years.
2: Well, let's talk about uh, any experiences you've had. Have you had, um, you know, any customers saying that this has changed their lives? Or have you heard of new businesses that are considering moving into the region? Or, you know, what are the kind of the anecdotes that that proved to you early on that this was a smart investment?
0: So we have had uh, multiple statements from various customers. I can think of one, a doctor that lives in Jonesboro, Tennessee. We actually built it out with fibers. And uh, the doctor there said that he had DSL internet services. He was very challenged in working with his uh, medical medical services from home. If he needed to read an X-ray or something, just the broadband capabilities he had would not support that. And now uh, he started out with our lowest package of 200 meg symmetric internet. That sounds low, <laughs> sounds low in some perspectives, but very high in a lot of others.
2: Oh yeah, it feels so. You're, you're charging fifty dollars a month for that two hundred megabit service. I pay twice that to Comcast. I get much slower upspeed, um, which is what I care about in, in for many of the things I do. But I was just I was teasing Christy Batts from Clarksville about this last week um, because it is that's a very attractive package at a very nice price point. So thank you for giving me a chance to highlight that.
0: Oh, absolutely, and you're exactly right. And what we're what we're finding out is that we've got to educate our customer base on what that symmetric speed means. So in some of the presentations that I've done before, I've told the customer, I said, in the past, the Internet has been a pull type of technology. If you wanted to uh, to use it, you were browsing and pulling information down. You were downloading files. You didn't have as much you pushed to the Internet or uploads. But that's flipping kind of uh, now at this point in time the Use of smartphones and social media. People are pushing videos out. In the business environment, you know, if a persons working from home. Those kind of uh, needs obviously is very uh, bidirectional, and so we we've, we've seen that we realize it, and that's really, really, we really want to tout that technology advantage that we can provide with that fiber network that the competition doesn't have available, and and the customers are starting to pick on to that and that pick up with that. And that doctor, for example, I mentioned he says that he now can pull down his x-rays and the MRIs, and he can make his notes, send it up, and he says, it's just like being at work, you know. So that's the kind of things we're seeing benefits. We had another business customer in Jonesboro that one of the incumbents, um, he was using them, and he had about one to two megabits, most he can get out of the service. Uh, another one of the incumbents' cable provider said that they could build to him for $1,600, and he said, well, I can't afford to pay $1,600 in a small shop. And we're able to build fiber there in downtown Jonesboro. We put it underground uh, in conduit that adjacent to what we use for electrical service today. Very little disruption to the town. And uh, and he today, you know, can have anything up to 10-gig service if he wants it. So he's very pleased, and he's told us about how it allows him to be very interactive with his catering business customers, be able to send quotes out instead of waiting, um, you know, minutes for uploads of some of these files, and all of a sudden it's instant. So some great success stories there. We've uh, worked with some um, student housing complexes that were very constrained for bandwidth to the students, and uh, we've bumped them up where they were doing more or less a shared 50 meg, and now we've got them 200 meg symmetric to each apartment. So success stories like that and many more to come. Obviously, we have just finished our first phase of fiber construction, which passes about 5,800 potential customers. Um, We have started phase two and are about 40% done with that. We expect to really have it done by the end of November this year. So by then, we will have passed 11,000 potential customers with services between phase one and two. So that will happen by the end of November of 2019. And then each year we're adding between five and 6,000 additional potential customers on the fiber, but we're also passing uh, about 4,000 potential customers with the fixed wireless at the same time, so all that's concurrent. So um, so that's the thing about it. You know, it's, it's easy to focus on the fiber because all the bandwidth, which is great, but we're also to get getting some really good speeds out with fixed wireless to communities that never had anything like this. They were very constrained with, with what they had available to them.
2: And is this something that's also going to improve the smart grid? I, a lot of the the Tennessee munis talk about this a lot, and and uh, I'm curious if you're being pretty aggressive on that end, too.
0: Well, the, the fiber technology is used for our Intelliruptor products, which that allows us to isolate a break in electrical lines and work around that so we can minimize the impact for outages and the impact it has on our customer base definitely does. It does not really impact our AMI portion of things because we already had an infrastructure that was using a hybrid uh, fiber backbone as well as an RF back feed back on, the, on and the other services. Uh, but there's potential, you know, because we do want to look at some layered services where we'll do some smart home technologies. Uh, we're really promoting right now electric car chargers. We're putting that out at some sites that we're sponsoring, such as a local museum. We're putting in the downtown area. We'd like to be part of that program. Uh, so there's several initiatives that that can tie into as well.
2: The last major question that I have before I'll make sure I'll ask you if I missed anything, you know, I'm sure that right now, somewhere in Nashville, as we talk, there's a, a cable or telephone lobbyist who's going around saying, you know, what, what, what these munis are doing is totally unnecessary. We already have cable access out there. Uh, we're doing, you know, the, the cable, the telephone companies have the cap the Connect America Fund dollars. Um, you know, how do you respond to that? Why is this a, a necessary investment for, for Bright Ridge? make
0: so we work against three primary and major incumbents in the area uh they have all been here for many decades and the area is still underserved we have many customers that say if i can get one or two megabits in my home i'm lucky at night that's most i can get and and then they will tell us they've got other services cable and they will buy 100 meg and they get maybe 50 meg down and so we heard from the customer base, and we said we want to provide a product that is superior to anything we've seen, uh, something that you can get the bandwidth you subscribe to, uh, that, you're, that you truly can get high-speed Internet broadband rated services. And so we're providing something that the others had opportunity to do but never did. And I'll, I'll mention this, though, since we went into the business We have seen them raise the bar and and build out some new areas and adjust pricing, which is good. All the customers win. If you are in their service territory and never buy a broadband service from Bright Ridge, you have an advantage today you didn't have before we came into business.
2: I'm, here, I'm glad to hear you say that. We were actually just talking about that in, in my office today because I think a lot of people don't realize when you make the kind of investment that you have that uh, you know, the, everyone really benefits from better promotions. And even in some places like in Louisiana, in Lafayette, we saw that the, the cable and telephone companies started sponsoring more local activities. So there was more money coming into the community or even sticking around in the community. So there's all kinds of benefits that that come from this, which um, accrue to people who may not even subscribe to it.
0: Yeah, competition is good. And and we don't expect to serve every customer, but we do want, again, to raise the bar that the entire area benefits from new technology investments, from the higher-speed broadband, and other services too. I mean, we're not just internet. We're providing voice services, anything from a, a basic phone line, to hosted voice, to SIP trunking, to PRI services. We also have our own IPTV solution that we're providing to our customer base. So we're trying to fit that entire triple play, and, uh, and customers are eager for it. We have unbelievable demand for services, and um, so we're excited about the future.
2: And are your fixed wireless customers able to take advantage of the IPTV as well?
0: Well, today, with the current content provider licenses that we're under, the answer is no to that. Now, they can take advantage of the any over-the-top solution, of course. And because we knew that one size does not fit all, we have two options. We say, if you want to buy our IPTV solution, we'd be glad to do that if you're on fiber. If uh, either one fiber or wireless, if you want to go over the top and cut the cord, we'll help you do that. We'll help you make that conversion at time of install, and we put in a managed Wi Fi router with uh, mesh extenders if required, and we give them 24 by 7 support. They can call in for their over the top experience problems. And we charge a nominal monthly fee for that. So we help empower them with a choice, whichever they want to go with. Um, you know, it's up to them.
2: That's that's terrific. I think we're going to see more of that from uh, a lot of the, the cities that have been um, doing this sort of thing and trying to figure out how to navigate this transition. But I want to be clear for people who may not be familiar. So, um, when you want to distribute uh, television content, you have to sign legal contracts, and, and it's those legal contracts that prohibit you from um, offering certain types of content um, on the wireless side. Is that right?
0: That is correct,
2: yes. And presumably that's because of a concern about piracy or something like that. It's, um, it's,
0: it would be an encryption. I, I think some of those barriers will come down over time, but that's the current state of things at the moment.
2: Right. Thank you for <laughs> clearing that up because yeah. I think sometimes people are kind of confused because from a technical point of view, it's all ones and zeros over the air or the fiber, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so- <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Yeah, from a technical uh, perspective, we could offer you of those services on the wireless as well. That is that is not constrained at all. That's correct.
2: So is there anything else that I should have asked you that, I, that I've missed that we want to… Get well, before we
0: end it? I do have a few few bragging points, if you don't mind. I'll oh, just I'd love kind of to hear describe them. Some things that we're doing that are a little bit unique uh, to maybe some of the other deployments. So when we looked at this design, we wanted to make the network as future-proof as possible. And, and, I, and I realize, I've been in the industry a long time, I realize there's no such thing in technology as future-proof. But as much as possible. So what we did, we went with the passive optical network but we also layered it with what's called a coexistence element. That allows you to combine your standard GPON technology, the wavelengths on that, with XGS 10-gig PON, also with ng pon 2, and whatever else comes in the future. So that coexistence element has multiple ports, and you're going to plug in the new technology to it, and it, it's kind of a combiner for the various light waves. And what it allows us to do is grow out our customer base by choosing the technology, we install the customer's premise, home or business. And if they just need up to 1 gig, we use GPON. They need up to 10 gig, we use XGS-PON 2. They need potentially something more than that, then we've got options to use multiple ways with the NG-PON 2. Uh, technology as well so so this allows the same infrastructure without changing the fiber optic network out at all to carry all those simultaneous in the same optical splitters uh, provide the the both or all those technology abilities so we were the um, we're, we're i understand we're the sixth community in the united states announced we have launched 10 gig internet service to our residential customer base we're the first to launch out of the gate with that service, and we're also the first to make it available to any residential customer in our fiber footprint and have 10 gig by 10 gig symmetric service for less than $300 a month.
2: Well, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> uh, I actually really appreciate you bringing in the, the more technical discussion because I, I know that some people always want to hear how you're solving these sorts of things when you're making these investments. You know, when you said future-proof, I was thinking we should start calling things future-resistant. <laughs>
0: there you go. That's a better term probably, yes.
2: <laughs> uh, have you seen anyone taking that 10-gig that service yet?
0: Well, we have used it for deployments for some uh, multi-dwelling unit applications, apartments for student housing, things like that. Uh, we have some customers who are building out phases, some later ones that say they want that their home. We'll see, and we realize that 10 gig symmetric to the residential home today is, is a difficult thing to justify that you need that, uh, especially since we have a 200 meg symmetric, a 500 meg symmetric, a one gig, and then a the 10 gig, of course. But, uh, but it's there. And uh, as the use and needs grow, we've, we've got it available. And we do think it's a, it's a potential economic incubator because we do know businesses need it. And we've got customers day We're working through for some higher speeds like that. So, um, so the technology provides it to the home or to the business. We've got the infrastructure investment to provide all those services.
2: Well, that's great. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to jump on the phone with us to share this story. Thank you so much.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate the time.
2: That was Christopher and Stacey Evans from Brightridge in Tennessee
1: discussing their fiber optic deployment and broadband service. Learn about the network at brightridge.com. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash bits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at community nets. Follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at MuniNetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power, and the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount helps keep us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle licensed to Creative Commons and thank you for listening to episode 374 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast.